morning. Oh, you just, all right, sorry. Cue the music. Mark needs 30 more seconds. everybody. Morning, 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 morning. Hey, it's a little rainy outside. It's bright and sunny in here. Glad you're here worshiping with us. If you're uh, new around here, you've been brought in by family, uh, a friend, whatever, um, please feel it be, be blah, blah, easy for me to say. Feel free to make yourself at home. That means grab coffee, bagels, tea, whatever you need at any time. Uh, if you run out and you need a refill, just get up and do that. You're not going to be bothering me. You're certainly not going to be bothering anybody in this room. We want you to feel comfortable and feel at home. So there's still a lot of coffee and tea and bagels back there. Hey, we're going to jump in. Beth reminded uh, me of something that happened uh, this week. Two things uh, specifically. Uh, one, uh, the shooting that took place. Uh, again, it seems like we kind of acknowledge that on a regular basis and, and pray for families that are affected by that. But also a, a plane went down um, from Cuba and 100 uh, people were killed uh, in that plane crash. And, and certainly we have plane crashes and catastrophes uh, quite often uh, in our world. Uh, this one in particular had uh, 10 Cuban pastors uh, and their wives. Uh, that were on board. And you know what's interesting about that? I've been to Cuba. I spent time uh, in Cuba when I was in college. And the church uh, that is existent um, there, it's, it's in homes. Uh, it's primarily underground. Uh, and it's not stable. It's, it's not a, a thriving, strong uh, place, much because of the oppression of, of the government that kind of imposes not only restrictions, but at times uh, not allowing it. And so uh, having strong believers, pastors, churches that are uh, pouring into the Cuban people is, is so unbelievably critical. Uh, and so there are a lot of uh, followers as we talk about the young church uh, here in Asia Minor in the book of First John. There, there are a lot of young churches uh, in Cuba that are uh, directionless at this point. At, at least that's what they feel. They, they are without a pastor and, and their wives. Uh, there are kids that no longer have parents, and the kingdom of God has uh, taken a hit uh, in that area. And our hope is that that pressure, um, that that loss um, that the enemy uh, thinks is going to be used to harm the kingdom of God actually is used to even strengthen and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, and so we're just going to spend a moment and, and pray for, for both the shooting, uh, people who were affected by the shooting, but also this plane crash in Cuba, and, um, and just join with brothers and sisters uh, in different places that are different than us, uh, kind of a, a healthy thing to do. So let's pray together. So Lord, whether it's tragedy of a shooting on a campus, whether it's a tragedy of, of a plane going down filled with dozens and dozens of people, many of whom were um, pastors and their wives, 
Uh, everywhere we look around this world, we can see darkness. And if we're not careful, we could get caught up in the events of the day and just think the world is a horrible, horrible place. And yet we know when we read the scriptures that it's anything but a horrible place. That there are horrible components to it, that there are uh, horrific events that take place. And yet you love this place. You love this world. You died for this world. You died for your people. And so, God, we join with those who are mourning and, and confused and struggling this day because of the shooting, struggling to kind of find their way, struggling to kind of find direction. We pray for those believers, those small home house churches in Cuba that are now without a pastor, and I pray that uh, the works of the enemy, um, the effects of sin in our world, death and destruction, loss of life, uh, instead of it being used to defeat and deflate and discourage your church, your kingdom in Cuba, that uh, you would use it to expand and strengthen and energize and band together believers. And we don't know how you do that. We don't know even why you allow it. Um, but we join together with our brothers and sisters down there and ask and pray that um, you would bring comfort and peace and uh, counsel uh, to those who desperately need it this morning. So we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Kind of interesting how world events uh, hit us and, and cause us to reflect a little bit, um, cause us not to just run to the mundane, uh, run to the routine, that we realize uh, what we do here is important uh, as believers when we open the scriptures and we read those when we come before the Lord and, and pray and talk with him and have a relationship that there's something unique and something very, very special there. Um, and so I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we've uh, decided to, to join together. We've uh, been in this series uh, where we're looking at the book of 1 John. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd love for you to open those to the book of 1 John. If you don't have one or you don't have it on your phone, there's a Bible in front of you. I would love for all of you to have some form of a Bible and open that up this morning, even if you're not normally uh, attuned to doing so. So open up to the book of 1 John. Uh, this is written by the Apostle John, this little book. It's found near the very end of the Bible, if you're looking for it, uh, right before 2nd and 3rd John and Revelation. Uh, he's written 1st John because false teachers of the day have, have uh, infiltrated, they've, they've found their way into the life of the church. And, and these are churches, just to remind you, um, located in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, that kind of region. It's not written to one particular church, but throughout what we view as modern-day Turkey, these churches are all over the place. And so this is who uh, John is writing to, and they're teaching false doctrine. They're, they're teaching things that take followers of Christ and kind of lead them astray. And some Christians are barking against that, pushing against it. Others are going, oh, maybe you're right. And then, then they're beginning to kind of follow like cattle, even though these are false. They're teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God and that sin really doesn't exist. 
what really matters is that you need knowledge. You need to have the intellect. You need to understand the Bible. You need to understand God. And if you have all of those, if you have the intellectual knowledge, then you'll be okay. And this begins to literally split the church. Uh, things are falling apart at the seams. People are leaving the church. They're following the false teaching. John covers that in chapter 2, uh, verse 19. And what's left is a bunch of Christians who are wrestling now with a lot of questions. They're seeing what they have known as the church begin to kind of fall apart brick by brick, and it's splintering. And they're asking a lot of questions. And at the top of their list goes something like this. How can a person accept Christ, be baptized, and then talk trash about the church and then leave the church and yet still be considered saved? How, how can that happen? How can any one of us who have stayed, the, these faithful believers of the church of John's days, they have not run, they have not followed the false teachers, but now they're asking the questions, how can those of us who have stayed really be sure that we're Christians? Because we look an awful lot different than those Christians that still deem to be Christians. And so what is the deal? How can we really know? And so John, in part, writes this epistle to help those faithful followers, and for, for us today, really know if we're Christ followers. Now, I want to say this right off the bat. This is not popular in any circle to define whether you are or aren't something. Uh, if you go, well, you are a Republican if you believe X, Y, and Z. Well, what if I don't believe that and I still call myself a Republican? Or you have to believe in these things if you're a Democrat. Well, what if I don't believe in all those things? Can I still be a Democrat? Well, it's not popular in any sect today to draw lines and give litmus tests. But I will say to you that the Bible is very clear on certain tests or steps for you to know, am I really a Christ follower? I do know whether you're here today or for some people listening online, this is going to ruffle some feathers. I know that. I'm not apologetic for it, but I do know this. I don't mean in any way to cause you to question your faith. I do cause you to question if you're really following Jesus. This is not a salvation talk. This is a relationship. Am I really following Christ? And in a culture that says, you can't tell me what to do, I want to tell you, yes, we can. Not me, but the Bible. The Bible is very clear on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so we're going to lay some groundwork to understand that a little bit better. I also want to say if at any point during this series or really any series that we do, if it causes you to question, if it causes you to question maybe your faith or your motives or your relationship with Christ, and, and do I really understand, we, meaning the leadership of the church, the pastors and the elders, we want to make ourselves available for you. Our mission statement is to equip every person that comes through our doors to take the next step in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's our mission statement. That means there are going to be times where there's some uncomfortableness of the topics that we talk about. If that's you and you would like to wrestle with that with someone, we'd love to wrestle with you. We'd love to talk with you and help you understand and maybe even disagree with you, which is, guess what, completely okay in the church. But I want you to know that you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to try and figure out faith or relationship with Christ 
alone. So this morning, he is, John is writing this epistle to help people understand. He actually gives three steps or what some scholars or theologians describe as tests, if you would. And this morning, I want to delineate those for us so that we can really understand. The first test or step, if you would, to knowing, am I really uh, a Christian? Am I really following Christ? Do I really have that relationship is what scholars describe as the truth or the doctrinal test. The truth test. Uh, we're going to read in uh, chapter 4. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter 4 of the book of 1 John. We're going to skip ahead just a tiny bit. And here is what he says. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. This is chapter 4, verses 13a, the very beginning part of that verse, and 14 and 15. And what John wants us to know is you know, you can know that you are a Christian, if you would. Again, remember, biblical times, they were called Christ followers in the very, very early church, which created the word Christians. You can know that you are a Christian if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and God in the flesh. You can know in part that you are really following Jesus for who he is if you believe that he is the Savior of the world and God in flesh. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. People for ages have said the following, I believe that Jesus is really good. Jesus taught incredibly great things. He's a great example. But I don't quite believe that Jesus is God's son who on the cross endured and appeased the wrath of God. I'm not quite sure I believe in that. Some will say that, that the teachings of Jesus are, are an incredible help, but in the end, there are a lot of different ways to heaven. And eventually we're all going to get there because I can't really put my faith in a God who would, quote, send people to hell. So there's a lot of trailheads that we could take, but ultimately... In the end, we're all going to get there. And John is saying, if you believe that about Jesus, you might know of God, but you don't know him. You might know of Jesus. You might even go to church. You might even sing the songs. You might even go on mission trips or attend youth group. But if that's what you believe, you might know of this God, but you don't know him. You don't understand the truth and the facts about Jesus. When I was in law enforcement back in California, I uh, obviously went to uh, an incredible amount of um, mundane and ridiculous calls, uh, but I also went to an in incredible amount of uh, violent uh, and dangerous uh, calls. And I can remember um, one of the things that I hated the most was domestic violence calls. Um, because they were always complicated, they were always messy, 
and uh, inevitably someone was hurt, if not physically, then emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually. There was always someone in pain. And as a police officer, you're paid to come in and kind of put a stop to what's going wrong and, and kind of put a Band-Aid on things and then move on. And domestic violence are one of those things that it's just near impossible within minutes to be inserted to someone's pain to fix that in a heartbeat. I can remember this one specific uh, couple who, when I was a boot, that is a, a rookie, uh, I began to uh, go to different calls, and there was this one couple who I went to quite frequently, and it started out with uh, her being verbally abused, uh, kind of mentally verbally abused, and so we would go there, and we would try and make nice and kind of settle things and then leave, and then uh, slowly it turned to uh, verbal threats, uh, threats in the midst of an argument, uh, and then uh, a push, uh, a, a light push, and then a pulling of hair, uh, both of them uh, with each other in these uh, cat fights. And then I can remember going and sitting with her at the very last time uh, before I resigned uh, and went back into ministry. I, I went and I sat with her and, and uh, I got the call that, that he was gone, that she was there, that there had been a physical altercation. Uh, I showed up, and, I, and as I was driving up, I could just recall all of these events. And I had had countless conversations with her on what an idiot he is and that he's violent. This is just who he is, that she needed to get out, et cetera, et cetera. And as I approached, I walked in uh, to the kitchen, and she's, I, I can still today vividly remember seeing her sitting at the kitchen table with with her hands uh, kind of on the kitchen, ta uh, kitchen table there, and both eyes uh, just swollen shut, uh, like a boxer, like an MMA fighter. And I paused. She, she didn't know it was me. Obviously, can't see. And I said, hey, it's Officer Hayes. And she didn't respond. And I thought to myself, okay, finally, she's going to get out of this enough's enough. We're going to find him. We're going to put him away and she's going to get out of this. And as I sat down with her and we began to talk, she began to say, he really is a good guy. You don't know him like I do. He really, he really is deep down a good guy. And I can remember sitting with her and going through the history, the facts, the truth, and in the end going, you're wrong. He is not a good guy. He's evil. Anyone who does this to a female, who puts his hands on a female, much less does this to you, you're wrong. The facts, the truth, say something other than what you are telling me. He's not good, and you need to get out of this. Again, I, I got out, uh, and so I don't know if she ever did. We ended uh, that, that evening, and she was still not wanting to press charges, really wanting to see if we could work things out, et cetera. Even when the facts and the truth tell otherwise. I bring that up to you because what John is telling us is that if you think you can decide about Jesus, whatever you'd like, 
regardless of the facts, regardless of the truth, regardless of what the scriptures say, that you might think you know God, but you really don't. The facts and the truth about Jesus and about God speak something completely counterculture to what we hear today. It's this truth test. How do we know that we're a Christian? How do we know that we're really in relationship with this God of all creation who sent his son to die for us? How do we really know? Well, there's a truth test. It's why God has given us the scriptures. And so that's the first test, truth, proper doctrine, that we really know we have a relationship with Jesus because we see him for who he is. And we have a relationship, albeit up and down, twists and turns, hot and cold, absolutely. But there's something there. Second test or step, if you would, is the obedience test. The obedience test. We see uh, this described in our passage this morning, chapter 3, starting at verse 9. Here's what it says. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Next part. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. These are some hard words. These are some litmus tests, if you would, for us to analyze, to take a look at our lives. Again, you might be sitting here going, but wait, you can't really draw lines. You can't really make people go either to that side of the room or this side of the room. And again, I want to say to you, if you have a hard time with this, you can take it up with God. I'm just telling you the truth. What John is not saying here this morning is that Christians never sin. He's not talking about that. He's not even suggesting that. He covers that uh, in the early part of chapter one, right around verses seven and eight. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. We have an English bulldog. His name is Johnny. He is, uh, he's fat, he's slobbery, and he is probably the most, um, how do I say this kindly? Uh, he is not smart. He is the most not smart dog I've ever met in my life. Um, and uh, we have a green belt on our uh, side area, and so I'll take the tennis ball out there with the chuck it stick, and I'll just throw tennis balls to him all the time. Well, the other day I was doing it. Sandy was gone with the kids or doing something. I was out there by myself, and I'm throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. And he's just doing a pretty good job. And uh, this is how not smart he is. Uh, our other dog, we have a lab pointer, Cash, uh, Johnny Cash, our two dogs. And uh, Cash, if, if he senses there is a bunny in the state of Colorado, he, he cannot settle down. Uh, he's like going into seizures because he wants to chase a bunny that could be in Durango, right? Johnny, the other day, this is a total side note. Actually, neither of these have anything to do with anything, but Johnny's <laughs> sitting there and a bunny literally runs past him like one foot in front of him. And, and Johnny kind of lifts his head up and then lets it fall back down to the ground. Doesn't even move. I don't even know if he knows what a bunny is. 
And so I'm throwing the stick, uh, throwing the ball with Johnny. We're playing stickball, and he, he's running it back. And this couple walks by, and they go, oh, you have a beautiful bulldog. Oh, thank you. And they're like, how is he pretty trained? And I'm like, yeah. And so now I'm like, well, they asked me if he's trained. Now that's like indicative of me. So, oh, yeah, of course he's absolutely trained. Uh, he's pretty smart, and I used that loosely. Um, I didn't 100% lie. He's smart, I guess, when he wants to. Actually, I did lie. And so I, I said, yeah, he does actually pretty good. I'm like, watch. And so, you know, I toss the ball, and he takes off running after the ball. And then he gets the ball, and I begin to yell, come. Now, for like 15 minutes prior, we had been working on this. Like, I trying to teach a kid, right? And so he had, for 15 minutes, he had been doing a great job. I throw the ball. He gets, I'm like, come on, Johnny, come. And he, you know, takes 15 minutes to run it back to me and drops it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my dog is actually somewhat intellect. And so I'm like, yeah, watch this. And so I throw the ball and he runs and grabs. I'm like, come on, Johnny, come. And he lays down (laughs) and he won't move. So there's some tricks. Like if we say you want to eat, he knows, and it doesn't even have to be food. We just give him anything that goes in his mouth. He just knows I'm going to consume something, a chair, a cup, uh, food, whatever. And he usually comes. He would like lift his eyes a little bit and then lay his head back down. And I'm like, he's actually pretty good. Come on, Johnny. And this went on for like, I don't know, maybe 30, 45 seconds. And I finally looked at him. I go, yeah, he's not very smart uh, at all. Um, And I had to kind of eat my words a little bit. He'll come sometimes when he wants to, but he's not going to come all the time. Uh, Your kids are going to obey sometimes. They're not going to obey all the time. Your husband is going to clean up after himself and put the lid down and put his dirty laundry away sometimes, not all the time. It's just the way life is. What John is not saying here is that Christians don't sin. We are going to sin. We've talked about this at length throughout this book. John says that you will know that you're a Christian, that over the course of your life, you see a trajectory, a journey of obedience. You're not going to obey all the time. Johnny is not going to obey the time. I just want him to obey when I'm trying to show off. But he is not going to obey. Now, here lies the critical distinction that sets Christianity apart from every other religion that is known to mankind all over the world. We obey not to earn God's favor or forgiveness or love. That's not why we obey. That's not why we serve the homeless. That's not why we go on mission trips to Africa and to Juarez, Mexico. That's not why uh, Ascent Church is, is sending a group down to Cuba. It's not why we do that. We don't do it to earn. And the Bible says that you will know that you're a true follower of Christ is if there is some progression, some progress in your relationship with Christ in response to his love and forgiveness and grace, not to earn it, but because you're overwhelmed by it. You're overwhelmed with the idea that you don't deserve it. You and I both know your struggles, your sins, your difficulties. And yet there's some kind of movement towards God. That's the second test. 
The final test, and where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, is the love test. Don't get any great ideas, Josh. This is a, a love test for God. I want to read this for you. It's, it's kind of a lengthy one, but we're going to read this together. First uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, going through verse 24. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain. That's a story in the Old Testament. You can read that later. Who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the whole world hates you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Again, another litmus test. We can know that we have passed from darkness into the light if we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Next passage. Now, let me throw quick caveat to this. That does not mean that a murderer can never be saved. And that doesn't even mean that if you have committed multiple murders that you cannot be saved. What John is saying is you will not have Christ in your heart and have a murderous spirit. You will not have the Holy Spirit living and residing in you and have that kind of hate. That does not mean that someone cannot repent later on in life and receive the forgiveness and the grace and the love of God. Let's move on. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Again, for those of you who want to throw rocks at me and say, you can't draw lines on what a Christian is and what is not, read the scriptures. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. That means when you're convicted and you go, man, I'm not the best Christian. I should love more. I should give more. I should serve more. I'm just not measuring up and our hearts condemn us. We realize that God is even bigger than that, that he loves us and that he has a greater purpose for us. Uh, where was I? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, not a suggestion, not a hope, not something that he would like to see. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. In other words, this is how we know we're Christians. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And I want to unpack this quickly this morning on what does Christianity really teach about love? Namely, its importance. Because love is at the foundation of our hope. In God. I want to read some verses to you. They're not going to be on the screen. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The result of the Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Not as to the love of the brothers and sisters, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. And then finally in 2 John uh, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. John loves this theological point that love has been with us from the beginning. It's always been this way. He writes John 3, 16. He writes other verses that encourage us that love has always been from the very, very beginning. So we're looking at the importance starting in verse 11. Here's what it says. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is the beginning of Christ loving you. It's all at the beginning. And why the beginning? Because John wants to remind us and to understand that from the very beginning, love started it all. Love began everything. First, the love of God, and then the love of Christians impacted the entire world. It's the love that will literally capture the imagination of the world in John's day. It's the love that will move uh, Christianity, if you would, or, or Christ followers from a small, isolated, backwater sect. Just something that's stagnant and not flowing to become the dominant, raging river and religion throughout the entire Roman Empire. It will literally change the world because of Christians loving and if you study the book of Acts, when you see the church first birth, when, when you see the church coming alive and becoming on fire, you know what we see there? We see in Acts, slaves and masters, Indian and Arab, Pharisees and teachers, skeptics and followers, rich and poor, sick and healthy, all together in one place, loving each other caring for each other's needs, not pointing fig fingers at each other, not deciding if someone's lifestyle is right or wrong, not, not trying to decide if someone is actually uh, really loving God or not, but together caring for each other. That's what we see. And so we ask, okay, John, why does love matter so much? Why is this so important? And John says in verse 11, if you really want to know, I'll tell you, it's because that's who we are. It's so important to John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because he wants the people of the current day and for us today to know it's, it's important because that's who we are. 
It's not a suggestion. It's not up for discussion. You can't say, I love God and I've given my life to Jesus, but you know what? I hate people. I don't want to help anyone. I just want to do my own thing. You're not a Christ follower if that's you. It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It just means you have not yet understood what Christ offers and then the life that he calls you to live. Because that's who we are. It's always been who we are. Not hate, not bigotry, not judgment, not condemnation, not pointing fingers, love. It's been there from the beginning. And this is really important. I want you to wrestle with this. I've been wrestling with this on my motives for loving. And it's been very healthy for me this week. And here's what I've come up with. A lack of love in one's heart is a practical lack of Christ's identity. If you lack love in your heart for others, then you lack a central characteristic of Christ. And I want you to know that God doesn't want it that way. You might say, well, I want to love, but I've got a lot of anger and bitterness in my heart. Perfect. God wants to work with that. He doesn't say clean that up first and then come to me. He says, awesome, let's take that bitterness and hurt. Let's work through that. Let's figure that out because I want more for you. And more comes in the form of love. Usually with people that aren't like us. Talk like us, look like us, act like us, believe what we believe in. I think of, of Mark and uh, Marcus on on. Um, university campuses, you want to talk about how different people are? Just go hang out with Mark for a few days and just people watch. The world is just melting pot that God says, if you want to live like me, if you want to know that you're really following me, you'll love those people. Because a denial of, of one of our core strengths as Christians is to deny loving others. And verse 14 up on here says that we'll know that we're Christians if we love each other. You'll know because there's something more than just words. You're going to see something very specific. Sam's getting married in 26 days, he told me. We're constantly checking in to make sure it's still on. They're getting married right outside here. I told them we're trying to see if we can grow the dandelions waist high because no one has ever been married in a dandelion field waist high, so we're trying to get some uh, news publication. You know what's crazy about people who get married or are going to get married? Everything. They turn into bridezillas. They turn into crazy people. But you know one of the things they do is this. Not so much the guy, but the girl. Bless you. Not because you're pregnant, and not because the Lord loves you, but because you sneezed. Bless you. <laughs> Girls will hold up their hands. Why? High five? Somebody put a ring on it. It's crazy. You, you, you will always know if someone's engaged. They walk around with, their, with, with pain in their arms because their arm is, is, is stuck in this position. Here's a couple pictures for you. Hey. 
The one in the middle, unless you live under a rock, happened yesterday. Does anybody not? No, I don't even want to know. There's something unique about brides-to-be. They have a glow. See the black and white photo up there? That guy is so trying to look interested. <laughs> Harry's like, man, that cost me a fortune. Guy on the top's going, starting to get heavy. Take the picture. I don't even know how she holds her hand up. Look at the size of that thing. That's going to give her tennis elbow. There's something about a female when she's engaged and she's got that rock on the finger, and not only because she thinks the ring is beautiful, but because she is loved by her beloved. There's an assurance there of like, finally, this is happening. Do you know what this means? Not only do I have a beautiful finger, but I'm his and he is mine. You walk around with some people after they get married. Uh, it's pretty depressing. I've been to a few weddings where the husband and bride are like greeting people separately. And then you go to some weddings where you're like, get a room. And it's interesting. You can always know where the other can't get enough of the other person. And brides, when they walk around, they want to they show. They, they, they want to prove that there's something between them and their future husband. And as Christians, we go into the world with our heads held high and our arms outstretched because we know that we're loved. It's like that song that Alex and the team introduced to us. And it really doesn't matter if you like people, but we are called to love people. And yes, they may even be Patriot fans. Talk is cheap. What John is saying is if you love, if you love this God who loves you, there will be something different in you. There will be something noticeable different in who you are. We must love each other as God gave us this commandment. John chapter 13, verse 34 Here's what it says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, if you aren't loving others, you need to do some time with God. If you know that you know that you know you are a Christ follower, but you're in a bad place, you're in a rough patch where you're just not loving, then maybe come talk to one of us pastors on staff or one of the elders. We'd love to have a discussion with you and see how we can help you take steps to get out of that rut. And here's what's crazy. When we put those two greatest commands together, to love God and love others, we find a great truth, and that is the Christian life depends on right belief and right conduct, but it's combined. Now, I'm going to close with this, but I really want to be this thing to be the lasting thought as we go into worship. We can't have one without the other. There can be no such thing as a solid Christian theology grounded in truth without a solid Christian ethic that is putting it into practice. 
and equally, there can be no such thing as a solid Christian ethic without a solid Christian theology, a right understanding of who God is. The one depends on the other. They work parallel with each other. And John is saying the belief, the relationship, the following is not real belief unless it issues the action. And our actions has neither sanction nor dynamic unless it is based in a belief. And that's the call for our church today. To go and to love. To love God and to love others. It's incredibly simplistic and unbelievably challenging. And we do this together. So we're going to do that. We're going to respond um, in worship. Because one of the things that can hold us down is uh, our hearts. They're hurting. They're confused. They're bitter. They're broken. They're confused. Uh, they're, they're struggling with truth and on what it really means to be lived out. And God wants anything but you to be held down. He wants you to be released, to be the man and woman, teenager, child that he longs for you to be. So let's pray together and then we'll jump in. So God, we love you. We thank you for today. Um, thank you for this gift of love that you give us. Uh, thank you that we don't deserve it, but boy, do we receive it. And for some in here, we want to just be released so that we can obey and go do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?